pray with me? Father in heaven, as we come to you today, we do express our love, our gratitude for you. Lord, we thank you so much that we're able to gather together and to sing songs to you of worship and love. And Lord, we're able to do that in a place that is under your protection, a place that is filled with your spirit. So Lord, as we come here to express our love, we want to come and open your word. Lord, that's part of a healthy, loving relationship between you speak to us out of love and devotion, we respond accordingly. We thank you for the opportunity. We pray that you bless this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Folks, if you would, as you begin to take your Bibles or maybe your Bible app, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 has taken me three weeks to get into this sermon, and so I didn't mean for it to take this long. I'm going to try to move through some things fairly quickly with you, but I don't want to speed through it. We were talking about uh, relationships, kingdom relationships. And the thing that we've got to get into, the thing we've got to recognize here is this. Um, number one, we said relationships are hard. I mean, relationships are, they're difficult. How many of you raise your hand if you know a difficult person? Without pointing, just raise. I said raise. Raise your hand. You know a difficult person. Relationships are hard. All right? Even with people that we get along with, we've got to work at that, don't we? got to work at getting along. Now, what really throws a curveball at us here is this, is that I am, by nature, apart from Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner. And so that means that everything that I do in relationships is self-centered, that it is sin-centered. It is, I want my way, my time, how I want it, right? And so when Jesus Christ, when I receive him in faith, then his Holy Spirit begins to live inside of me. And as his Holy Spirit lives inside of me, then he becomes Lord over my life. And Lord over my life means he's Lord over my relationships. And so now I have his word where he's speaking to me in relationship, and he is definitely guiding me by his Holy Spirit, by his word, and so that's great. But now I find that sometimes relationships are so hard that he just doesn't tell me exactly how to handle everybody. He doesn't always tell me exactly what to say, how to say it, and sometimes... I've been accused of my tone being incorrect. Gentlemen, y'all ever said anybody ever had that happen to them where you said the right words the wrong way? How did you do that? How do we do that? And so what we find here is this, and we, we looked at uh, a couple of weeks ago how relationships, God gives us instructions, and he wants us to take his instructions, but now we have his Holy Spirit living inside of us, and he wants us to think. I mean, we've got to think about relationships now in a way that honor and glorify God. Not just a way that honor and glorify me. Not just a way where I get what I want. But now I've got to begin to think what God has said, what His Holy Spirit's leading me to. And I've got to think about how do I respond in these relationships. So we looked at a couple of things here. And as we were looking, we, we got into Matthew chapter 5. And if you're with me there, you saw verses 21 all the way down to verse... Um, 26, we talked about anger and how easy it is for us to become angry and, and how when we allow anger to grow unchecked, it becomes, it grows, right? God's given us his law here, and he says here that we're not supposed to murder anybody, right? But then Jesus kind of builds on this. And he says we've got to be, be careful in our relationships because sometimes anger 
goes unchecked and it's dishonoring to God and then we let it grow and build and at first it's just it's words or maybe just thoughts and then words and then finally it gets to expression and, and then it's a big expression where we've taken life. Ooh. So we've got to have relationships and got to think about how do I, you know, simple way to think about it, how do I keep killing somebody? Well, I did a pretty good job this week, right? But now he wants more than that. In relationships, kingdom relationships, God is looking for us to be careful about how we think when someone makes us angry. And to let him be Lord of our thinking in relationships. And that kind of branches over, bridges over for us. You pick up in verse 22, we talked about lust. And how verse 22 to verse 30, Jesus talks about this idea of how our thoughts towards the opposite sex our thoughts towards being sexual beings, how those thoughts have to be lorded over. God's got to be Lord over my thought life. So that means what? That He's Lord over my eyes. He's Lord over what I think about. He's Lord over how I feel. He's Lord over how I then respond in these lustful types or lustful opportunities for relationships. So it's not, now hear me carefully, we've not talked about easy things yet, have we? Relationships are hard. They're hard. But God's got a purpose for every relationship in your life. Now hear me. God has a purpose for every relationship in your life. In other words, He has brought every person He's brought into your life, He's brought them into your life for a reason. So these people, you say, well, that's easy to get along with them. God gave you them. You need to be thankful for that. Right? But you also have this other end of the spectrum where you say, well, who gave me this person? Right? Who gave me these hard-to-get-along-with people? Can I say to you, God has a purpose for every relationship that He's brought into your life. And now we're going to take His Word and His Spirit and begin to think about how He could be Lord over even our most difficult relationships. What amazes me about this passage, where I want to pick up with you today, is this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus actually devotes two verses. We would say two whole verses to the topic of divorce. And this is going to touch, obviously, on a very hard situation for many of us. So let's look at the text, if you join with me. Matthew 5, verse 31. This is, in this context, right here in the Sermon on the Mount, what's recorded in Matthew for us. This is what he says. This is all that he says. Verse 31, it says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, whatever that is, makes her commit adultery, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Are you with me here? Well, we read that. Many of us are in a context, in a situation where we'd say, tell me more. That didn't really clarify everything about maybe your situation as far as being a divorced person or considering a divorced person in the process of divorce, it doesn't tell us everything, it seems like. Wouldn't you want more? It seems like we would want more. And so let me say just a few words briefly to you here. And let's start, and I'd like to begin at the beginning, right? What I would believe here is this, and I would share with you just briefly. I can't touch on every situation, of course, and that's not what I would desire to do with you, because I want the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. So what I would encourage you at the beginning, we would say this. If you are a single person, especially, 
you are a teenager, can I send a very clear message to you that you need to make a decision, I believe now, about Jesus Christ being Lord over your relationship. And that's going to require you, I think, to begin to think biblically, to begin to search as a teenager, as a single, as a young adult. It's going to require you to begin to search the Scriptures. These are two verses that Jesus speaks about divorce, but there are more verses, there are more passages that would require your devotion, your study. What I would invite you to do here is this, is you need to make up your mind as a single person about what you understand God's teachings are on the topic of divorce. You then would take this biblical thinking, I would hope, and as you begin to, we're going to say this word here, we don't talk about a lot in church, but as you begin to date, you don't need to wait until your circumstance begins to influence your feelings and emotions and then try to figure out what you believe theologically. I would invite you to begin early and begin to look at this topic and think about this topic and engage with parents and Christian friends who love Jesus. Talk with them about the topic of divorce and begin to formulate a biblical, what we would say, worldview about this topic of divorce. As you begin to date then, when you get into dating relationships, you've already had it settled in your mind about what you understand the Bible would say about this topic. I would challenge you, and I invite in any way that I can ever be of service, it's not about me, but I do require, and hear this word carefully, but I do require, when I perform a wedding ceremony, I do require premarital counseling. And can I encourage you, if you are a single, and you're looking at, considering in any kind of way, the option of you feel like God's leading you to be married, let me strongly encourage you to find someone who understands God's Word, believes God's Word passionately, who will offer to you premarital counseling. Get into those premarital counseling sessions, be faithful in those premarital counseling sessions, and realize here, hear the teaching of God's Word specifically about marriage before you get into marriage. Now, you say, well, I'm at that point. What safeguards do I have? You have the safeguards of this. You ready? Relationships are hard. <laughs> I mean, relationships are hard. And so as you enter into a marriage, and this is what we would cover in part of our biblical teaching on marriage through premarital counseling, what I would encourage you to understand here is this. I am a sinner. My wife is a sinner. It's not a competition, but we're both sinners. And what we would understand here is this. In our marriage relationship, when we came into our marriage relationship, it is a three-party covenant. The covenant, of course, is between my wife and I, where I'm making certain pledges to her, and my wife is making certain pledges to me. But can I tell you something? To a certain extent, we would understand that when a sinner pledges to someone, they are pledging to the best of their sinful ability. And so the biblical understanding of marriage for us would become this, is that in a marriage relationship, ideally, even though relationships are hard, the pledge that is made is made in front of and with that third party, which is God our Creator. And so the promises then that I have made to my wife, the pledges I've made to my wife, can I say to you, gentlemen, I in my own strength and my own power cannot, nor do I have a desire to often, keep those. It is only because that pledge that I've made has been empowered by God 
And I do not rely on my own strength, and she does not rely on her own strength. But in our marriage relationship, we have to rely on Jesus Christ living inside of us. Now, how often? Daily. She would say for me, second by second, we need Jesus in our marriage. We don't need Jesus in our marriage to the extent, let me say if you don't mind, we don't need him Sunday to Sunday. Now, I, I encourage faithful church attendance. That's great. But can we speak bluntly here for a moment to say this? Faithful church attendance does not lord over your marriage. It doesn't. It doesn't give you the strength. It doesn't give you the power. We need Jesus daily. So what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5, now understand this. Hear the words, verse 31. It, was, it is also said, he's going to go back to the law, Whoever divorces his wife. So does it say in the law that divorce is an option? If you study that passage of Scripture that it refers you to, that's going to be in Deuteronomy 24.1, if you want to write that down. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. What I would say to you clearly, and hopefully you would hear my heart with great sympathy, with an ability to try to understand that everybody's situation is different. Nowhere here does Jesus say, Start looking for divorce first. You hear me, church? Say amen if you hear what I'm saying to you. Jesus does not say, now hear me, dealing with ninth and 10th graders on a regular basis, and we talk about this in our classes at PCPS. And let me say to you, we have ninth graders who will tell me that I'll ask them about their plans, their hopes for the future. And I'll say, do you, do you, would you like to be married one day? They said, yeah. And I'll say to them, what happens if you end up marrying somebody and you turn out you don't like them, they'll say, well, I'll just get a divorce. Can I tell you, the biblical worldview for us here is this. Very simply, Jesus says, divorce might be an option under certain circumstances, but your first commitment is to go into marriage in order to fulfill your pledge. To say, God, with your strength living inside of me, my commitment is to fulfill my pledge that I made before you and I made before my spouse. Now, does that always work out easy? No, relationships are hard. Relationships are hard. So, you say, well, Brother Casey, you're missing something, right? What happens in these situations, in these relationships, where I, before God, have taken this seriously, I've pledged myself before God to my spouse, does that solve everybody's problems? No. It's a two-way relationship commitment. And sometimes we, unfortunately, we have been sincere in our Christian pledge. But that has not been reciprocated here. And so what Jesus addresses here is this. In the law, there is this understanding in Deuteronomy 24 that divorce was something that is out there. We can't negate that. We can't disregard that. But he does emphasize this, is that Christians... As you are a kingdom Christian, you want to live to honor God, your challenge is to not flippantly enter into a marriage relationship where you say, ah, whatever, I'll just go in, and if it doesn't work out exactly like I want it to work out, then I can just throw it to the side. Don't do that, Christian, please. And I understand. I'm, I'm on thin ice here, all right? It's like, well, pastor's only been here a couple of months, and here we go. Here's the idea for you. Here's the idea for you. I've never met a person who has rejoiced as a Christian 
in their divorce. I've never met a Christian that's been able to tell me, well, my divorce went great. And nobody got hurt in any kind of way. We understand that divorce is not our first response. It's not our first response. It's not something that we would want to pursue. We would want to see happen in our lives. And I understand many folks in our culture say, well, this has happened. This is something that's happened in my life. And can I say to you, church, we have a great challenge to say we want to embrace these people. We want to love these people. We want to care for these people. And we want to bring these people, walk with them to a point of healing and strengthening. How do we do that? to do that. So we approach this this passage of Scripture. Two whole verses. Thank you, Jesus, right? Two whole verses, and he says this. He says that divorce does exist, that divorce is something that, under certain circumstances, it's there, but it is never, I would say to you again, it is never originally part of what God wants for your marriage relationship. It's not something that at the very beginning God says, I hope that this doesn't end well. Where God says, and I hope that your relationship would be strong, would be united, that your relationships would be centered on Jesus Christ, that your relationships would be filled daily with Jesus Christ, that when you continue to leave that cup off the toothpaste, that you would find forgiveness in Jesus for doing that. When you can't figure out if the seat's up or down, you would find forgiveness in that. When it's the little things and the big things that we find forgiveness in it. And church, here's what Jesus is going to say in the Lord's Prayer. Remember this? He says that we seek forgiveness so that we can do what with forgiveness? Show forgiveness. Show forgiveness. So gentlemen who are married, let me speak a word to you here and say, you might be in need of forgiveness. But make sure that you are willing to display forgiveness. Married women, let me say to you, you might find yourself in a big mistake that you've made. And you are in great need of forgiveness. And we would say as Christians, it's not easy, but we turn to Jesus and we say, Jesus, show us what forgiveness looks like. And this is where Jesus, because he loves his church, he dies for his church. So be hungry for forgiveness, married couples. And be hungry to express forgiveness to one another. So the, the value for us here then is, as I would see, a, a very complicated issue Jesus would say we value our pledge. We value the pledge that we make to one another. And we realize that this pledge is not something that's just based on our feelings. It's not based on our instantaneous emotions. But our marriage pledge is something that we bring before God. And I say before God, and men and women, you say before God, I hope with me, God, help me fulfill this pledge. Now, God, help me fulfill this pledge. Life is going to come at us. Full force. Help me fulfill this pledge. Help me fulfill this pledge on a regular daily basis. Now that leads in then to, I believe, a continuation. If you pick up with me there, verse 33, Jesus says this. He says, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old. Here's the law. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But Jesus then elaborates this. He brings this to life for us, and he says this, but I say to you, verse 34, do not take an oath at all. Say what? Either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Verse 36, 
And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. I wish I could, but I can't. Verse 37, let what you say be simply yes or no, and anything more than this, hear this, comes from evil. So here's what he says. He talks about oaths. In your relationships, you're going to have an opportunity to make different levels of pledges, different levels of commitments. And so Jesus then addresses this, and he says here, if I'm hearing this right, he says, first, we've got this in the law. It says, number one, don't swear falsely. Don't swear falsely. Can I just present something to you here? Is by joining yourself with Friendship Baptist Church, you have tagged yourself, if you will, change yourself voluntarily to Jesus Christ. And so as you are in the community, and I saw it yesterday, I love it. It was wonderful what I saw yesterday, the Ekru Peach Festival. Wonderful wonderful opportunity to see the community of Ekru come out together. And what I love seeing here is this. I love seeing people who have pledged in membership and united themselves with Jesus Christ through our church there in that community, being witnesses, being representatives there. And can I encourage the church, if you have a reputation of swearing falsely regularly, that because you are bound to Friendship Baptist and bound, therefore, to Jesus Christ, it does not just reflect negatively on you, but it reflects negatively on your church, on your pastor, on your deacons, and ultimately, it reflects negatively on Jesus Christ. So here's what Jesus says. He says, now, we've got this law, and it says, don't swear falsely, right? And he says, then our sin struggle becomes this, that our promises tend to grow. Here's a, a sign for you, a telltale. You ready? If you ask me to do something, and I say, sure. And you feel the need to come back to me and say, but do you promise? Can I ask you to think with me? I'm talking about thinking about relationships. What does that reveal? It reveals to, you, to me that for some reason, my first word is not good enough. You don't trust my first word. So what has to happen then? I have to give you a second word. Well, why would you trust the second word more than the first? So maybe I need to give you a third word. Now, pretty sure I'm going to say, well, here, take my keys, and if I don't do it, then you just keep my truck. You know, we, we do things like that, right? And we keep trying to build and build and build and build on our credibility. And I tell you, church, that's not a great place to be relationally, is it? Jesus recognizes this is happening, and he says, hey, let me say, it says don't swear falsely. But actually, the principle becomes this. Our sin struggle is that we tend to have to, once we don't keep our first word, then we got a promise on top of our first word, and we don't keep our second word, then we got a promise on top of our second word, and then pretty soon we've given our house away. So Jesus says this. Our value then is this, is if I say I'm going to do it, it's already done, we just haven't experienced the time passing yet. Church, if you say you're going to do it, then because you are a member of the kingdom, you're bound with Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has never given his word to you that he didn't keep as the first word. So therefore, as a representative of Jesus Christ, to represent him well, our challenge, and we need his help for this, because relationships are hard. 
But we say, if I've said it, it's already done. Now, I might have said that I'm going to do it a month from now. That might be our set time for completion. But let me tell you, if I tell you today that it's done, it's already done a month from now, you just wait. That's the kind of witness that Jesus asks us to be in relationship. That's the kind of witness, the kind of representative that he calls us to be. Well, I meant to do it. You meant to do it means that you said you would do it, and what happened? You didn't do it. And what happens in our relationships? You ready for this? Teenagers, you ready? Here's what happens. In our relationships, when we say we're going to do something, and then we don't complete what we said we were going to do, then we have people lose faith in us. We have people begin to doubt us and begin to say to us, I'm not sure if I can trust your first word. And so then they come back and we have this natural tendency where we ask for that second word. We ask for that second compromise. We ask for, maybe we get into, if you're a parent, maybe you encounter this, we enter that threaty, threat zone. Y'all don't do threats? Y'all don't do threats? Folks, y'all do threats? You do? Okay, thank you. All right, so here's the idea for us. What we find is this. To represent Jesus well, we value our word. Now, in life, you say, well, then, you know, then there's things that have happened, Brother Casey, and they're way outside my control. We can't see the future, right? And we understand that that happens. That's why we say Jesus has not given us a detailed second-by-second second instruction manual. What he's saying here is this. When it comes out of your mouth, let it be true. Let it be not something that you're trying to deceive someone in, not trying to be something that you're trying to mislead someone in in some kind of way, something that you have no intention of accomplishing. But when we have it come out of our mouth, it's true. It's true. And then as circumstances happen, we stand sometimes in need of forgiveness, which is available only through Jesus Christ personally. So he goes from divorce, which is about keeping our pledge, and he moves into keeping our word. It seems like that's ironic. What do you think? How Jesus kind of branches those? And he says here, watch this. I'm going to be faithful in my pledge to my lifelong marriage partner. That would be my intention. That's my, with God's help, God's strength, that's what I'm going to do. But now, not just with my marriage partner, but now with everyone around me, with my neighbor, with my coworkers, with my boss, with my teachers, with my church members, when I see my intention, my calling as a kingdom person is that it's true. It's true. We're going to be there. We're going to do it. We're going to accomplish it. Jesus moves on then, if you're still with me. Verse 38, he says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now he's going to take that law and he's going to expand on that law, give an eye for an eye. That's Exodus 21. And he says this, but I say to you, do not resist one who is evil. Now hear this carefully. This is commonly called understand. Let's get into the actual meaning of the text. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, thank you, sir, may I have another, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Seems like I'm going to be naked pretty soon. If that's literally what we're talking about here. Verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to those who beg from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So we look at that and we say, okay, 
Are these specific instructions? Well, there's some things in my life that come up that land outside of those specific instructions. So here's what Jesus does. He's talking here about retaliation, which implies you're going to need to retaliate or feel the need to retaliate at some point in your relationship. You've been there maybe before. So retaliation is a very real thing. How do we do retaliation biblically? It says give an eye for an eye. That's all the law says, right? So now, folks, either Jesus is speaking specifically, and that literally means if someone punches you in the face, you punch them in the face, of course, to be fair, with the equal force. That would be the only fair biblical way, if that's literally what Jesus is talking about. Or is it possible that Jesus is not talking literally, that Jesus is showing us a principle here? So consider this. He says retaliation is more than just giving an eye for an eye. Retaliation grows, right? One of the things we used to uh, do in youth ministry, I used to do back when I was young, or foolish, the, the thing that we would do is, you know, teenage guys love to, used to love to come up and frog you in the arm. Y'all ever been, any, any, any of you folks ever been frogged in the arm, right? Been frogged in the arm, you don't know what that's like? Be rusty after this, he'll show you, all right? But what happens here is this. So if a teenage boy would come up and frog me in the arm as youth minister, I want to set a good example. But I also want to teach him something. Amen? I want to teach him something. So the only way to break a teenage boy from hitting you in the arm is to break his arm off. Is that? Come on. That's the only way to do it, right? Well, I don't want to get in trouble with his parents. That just provokes, right? So the only way to break him from doing something, from ever hitting you again, is to make sure that he no longer has arms. That's the only way to do it, right? And this is what Jesus is talking about, about how retaliation grows. Well, someone said something about me, so I'm going to take to social media and say something about them. Well, they're going to love that and just forgive me. No, no, no. They're going to then retaliate and say something worse about me, and that's going to cause me to do what now? What am I going to do? Well, I'm tired of that stuff. I'm tired of the words, so now I'm going to take some action. Right? Does that sound familiar? And this is how we go back and forth in relationships. And when does it stop? When does it stop? Jesus says then this. He says here that as retaliation is growing in our lives, we as kingdom members representing Jesus Christ, we have to know how to retaliate. And how to retaliate in a way that does not bring satisfaction only to us. You're never going to get there. You're never going to get there. You're never going to retaliate to the point where you win. No. Not if, you, not if you're doing it with some of the folks I know. You're never going to get to the point where you say, I have triumphed over you. No, it's not going to happen. You're just going to provoke them to come back at you harder. So how do we honor God in relationships when we are, if you will, under attack? This is what Jesus, I believe, is saying. It's not a literal Start poking people in the eye, all right? But instead, what Jesus elaborates on in the Old Testament law, and he brings to fulfillment with his life. Now, get this. See the picture of the law come to life in Jesus Christ. What Jesus says is that we value mercy. We value mercy. And mercy would mean this, is that when someone then 
attacked me, I would stand on truth. Now, don't mishear me. I would stand on truth. This is the truth of my situation according to what God has said. And you have attacked me. So now then, instead of giving you what you deserve, I'm going to show you mercy instead. Now, what's their response? Can you think with me? What's their response? The Bible has said this, that I am an enemy of God. Paul says, I'm an enemy of God. So I have with my very breath, with my very words, with my very thoughts, with my very eyes, my hands, my feet, everything that I have, I have revolted and rebelled against God. Now, God's retaliation is that he's got to punish. You hear me? He's got to punish. That's how he maintains his holiness. But as Jesus Christ then comes into the picture, you get this? It is, Acts uh, tells us this, it is by God's plan that Jesus Christ becomes the expression of mercy for our sins. It is God then seeing our revolt, seeing our rebellion, seeing our need to have our arms broken off, but break off our legs too, and burn them in hell. That's what we deserve. But God then responds to our attack against him, our rebellion against him, and he says, here's my son Jesus Christ. Let my wrath be poured out on him so that you can receive mercy. What's your response to that? What's your response to that? Well, I'm just going to keep on rebelling against God. I'm going to keep on revolting against God. And his mercy continues to be manifested as a need in your life. You come in today and you say, I'm angry. I'm angry at God. Maybe you can't even put your finger on what you're angry about, but you say, I'm mad because life is not all that I wanted. Can I say to you, life is a gift from God. And the life that He has given you, He's given you so that it would be lived for Him and no one else. He's the only one worth your life. And the more that you live saying, I'm angry at God, and I slander God, and I want to hurt God, can I tell you? Mercy just wells up and becomes evident in your life. You need His mercy, and His mercy is standing here today available to you. What do you do? What if you and I leave here with a commitment to retaliate as God has retaliated. Retaliate with mercy. What happens in your relationship? Do you think that that would in any kind of way show different than the world perspective, that it would show a God perspective to the world? So Jesus says, here's the idea. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. He moves on then, verse 43, in our last relationship principle, our kingdom relationship, tells us this. It's going to talk about our enemy. Now, watch this one carefully. It's a little different, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, Jesus says. He quotes the Old Testament law. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Whoa. You know where, by the way, it says hate your enemy in the Old Testament? Nowhere. 
see, it's kind of become logical for us where Jesus definitely says, Old Testament law definitely says, love others. So if you love other people that love you, then by default we would say, well, that means that I hate my enemy. So that's not actually a biblical Old Testament law here. It's just kind of an assumption that people have made, kind of a adapted. Verse 44, Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute, which means they have intentional action to harm you because of your stand for Christ. Verse 45, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son, hear it, to rise on the evil and on the good. God, our Father, sends rain on those who are just, but he also sends the same rain, he waters the same crops of those who are unjust. Say what? For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Tax collectors love those people who love them. Verse 47, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. And he wraps it all up with verse 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he talks about this last issue. He talks about loving our enemies. We assume that we should hate people who hate us. But as members of the kingdom of God, we understand, and we've seen this throughout all these relationship principles, that our unchecked hatred, our unchecked anger grows. So how then do we respond in relationship to people who absolutely, intentionally, and deliberately hate us? Here's the answer. Forgiveness. We value showing forgiveness. We value showing forgiveness. And how do I value showing forgiveness? I've got to see this picture again of Jesus Christ. I've got to see who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done for me. I've got to see how Jesus Christ has displayed forgiveness. You say, well, sometimes we say forgiveness is, I forgive you, but I'm still going to be angry at you for the rest of my life until I can get even. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is Jesus Christ laying down his life. You hear that? Jesus Christ laying down his life. Can you walk with me through it just for a second? Jesus Christ has come. He has lived a life for 30-something years where he's sinless. 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 So then he gets this idea. He begins to surround himself with 12 followers, whom, by the way, after a night in prayer, he handpicked by God's design. He devotes every waking second into not just doing miracles and not just preaching the gospel like the Sermon on the Mount, but as he's pouring his life into people, he is specifically pouring extra amounts of his life into these 12 disciples. He loves them like brothers, family. He is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and one of those men that he handpicked, that he poured himself into, comes with a group of what we can only estimate somewhere between 100 to 400 people in that mob. He kisses him on the cheek. It's crazy. Draws him out. The other 11 disciples, one of them, by the way, had pledged and said, I will be with you to the point of death. Apparently, the point of death looked a little scarier up front. And so they ran away. The scripture says that one of those disciples ran away so fast. Y'all ever had a good friend? Ran away so fast 
They try to grab him by his coat. He runs out of his clothes and runs away naked. See you, bro. He's gone. Jesus spends the night, them falsely accusing him, outside of the law which they have established. Jesus spends the night being accused, being punched in the face. They would put a burlap sack over his head, and the soldiers would walk around him in a circle and punch him in the face and then say, who punched you? They would spit on him and say, who spit on you? They take this crown of thorns after that brutal, brutal beating, and they press in a crown of thorns down into his scalp until he begins to bleed from his brow. And then he goes through a series of lashings with a crowd standing around. The Roman soldiers there have taken a whip that has multiple strands where pieces of glass and pieces of bone and pieces of rock are tied in it. And they strip Jesus' back and they begin to hit him on his back and pull, literally yank the flesh out of his back. Then he gets rough. They force him to carry his cross. They force him to go up to Calgatha, up to Calvary. They lay him down there and they pierce his wrists and his feet and they raise him up on this cross where gravity takes effect and drop him into that hole there. And Jesus looks down and hears him. And every one of those soldiers that are standing there, the ones even that are gambling over his clothes, he looks in the distance at his disciples who have snuck back into the crowd like cowards, who have pledged family to him, who have pledged friendship to him, who have pledged loyalty to the point of death to him, and who ran away. And Jesus says, I forgive you. I forgive you. And then he hangs on that cross till he reaches this point, God ordained, he says, it is took it to completion. You say, well, I'm not sure if I'm really saved or not. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you truly believe in Jesus Christ by His power as God on the cross and been resurrected for you, He said He saves you. It's done. He does not break His promise. He cannot break His promise. He stands there. He hangs there. He says, this is forgiveness. This is the kind of relationship wants to have with you. This is the kind of relationship that he wants to model for you. This is the kind of relationship that he calls you and I to model. And you might be with me this morning to say, I can't. <laughs> I gotta tell you, hearing that, I might not even want to someday. To have a relationship where I'm constantly relying on Jesus Christ to be my source of mercy, to be my source of pledge, be my source of value, to be my source of forgiveness, to be my source of letting Him shine like light, salt of the earth through me. i got to tell you, I don't know why He would say that. Because I am unworthy of it all. But this is how we make a difference in the world, folks. This is how we make a difference in our relationship. Is when we stop living according to how the world's living around us and we say, Lord, this is my relationship. pray with me. Our Father in heaven, as we come today, we come with a difficult passage because the difficult passage uh, seems to be very real in a lot of things that are happening and have happened in my life. 
Lord, we know that today we have friends, family who are here that are wrestling or have wrestled with divorce, continue to struggle with divorce, continue to struggle with knowing your will and knowing what to do. And God, we thank you that they're here and they have this desire. It's a great indicator. They are asking questions about how they can honor you and how they can please you in this very impossible situation. God, I pray for them. I lift them up to you. I ask that this church would be a church that embraces people who struggle, embraces people who have made mistakes and had mistakes made against them. Lord, help us to be a church that delights people who are struggling in relationships. Lord, teach us to be people of our word. Lord, teach us to be people who show mercy, who keep our promises, who forgive other people. God, teach us how to do these things, not because we heard it on Sunday in a sermon and now it's all better, but because daily you live inside of us. And Lord, daily we're called to surrender to your Lordship. Lord, I know this week someone's going to make me angry. I know this week someone's going to hurt me. Someone's going to attack me. Now we know these things come in our relationships. We know they come in our life because we're sinful. Our world's sinful. Help us, Lord Jesus. Thank you. You've come. Firstly, your law. Then you lived out your law perfectly. Thank you for showing us. family, as you continue in the spirit of prayer, God's going to begin to sing. He's going to begin to lead. And can I say this to you? I'm not sure how the Lord's speaking to you this morning. Maybe you have a relationship that needs mending. I can offer prayer and support, but I want to put it to you. You need Jesus Christ to intercede and intervene in your life and to help you. Would you converse with him, ask for his help and his strength. He loves you. He wants to guide you. He understands your situation better than anyone else does. So we invite you during this time of invitation. You respond. Austin's here to serve. Deacons are here to serve you. The altar is open. If you have a burden you want to lay down, you come and do business with the Lord.